Have you ever vaguely envied bears? You remember when you were a kid, you used to read about bears and how to bear in the wintertime? Yeah, you remember that? You know, you'd read about this stuff, and they would talk about the bear, how, how all during the fall he would eat all kinds of berries and stuff and, and uh, get real fat uh, because he was going to sleep all winter. And uh, sure enough, when the first snow would come, the bear would creep away to his uh, place where he was going to hibernate, and he would pull the weeds after him or something, and he would curl up and go to sleep the whole winter. I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, you know, and I used to think about that as a kid. You're, you're, you know, especially when you get up at, the, you know, like 7 o'clock in the morning, you go to school, and the temperature is about 20 degrees, and the wind is blowing, and, and then you feel rotten, and they give you that oatmeal, and uh, <laughs> you know, oh, wow. I mean, it kind of makes the bear's life look pretty good. Any idea of a bear hibernating, just snoozing away there all winter, and the... Uh, he comes out only in the springtime. He's, you know, he, he, that's the, the bear is not such a dumb creature. Well, the idea of this poor little bucker, you know, this little salamander sneaking away, and and does uh, he goes down in a cave there, and a little, you know, they always go down underground. This is where frogs and toads and stuff like that hibernate. And he goes down underground like that. See, and uh, he curls up in this mud, and it freezes over like it always does in the Siberian winter. But it doesn't unfreeze. Poor little bugger, you know. Year after year, decade after decade goes by. He's sleeping away there. Well, then along comes these Soviet miners, see. They're digging away there, and up comes this block of ice. And inside 100 years, how do I know it was 100 years? I don't know. But <laughs> inside this block of ice, 100 years later, is this poor little salamander. And so they, they said, well, put it over there on the radiator and see what happens. So they put it on the radiator, and it starts to melt. Well, of course, the salamander, like the bear, whenever it starts getting warm, he stretches, he wakes up, he walks out, starts looking out for it. The first thing he looks for is a mate. That's the first thing. He, and that's the true of most of us. That's true of most of us. Uh, <laughs> you agree with that, Art? <laughs> and it isn't because uh, you're looking for companionship. It goes a little deeper than that. And the first thing... <laughs> The salamander does is wake up after a hundred years. He looks around. Holy God! Uh, <laughs> I'm just curious, at what point in time did they begin to refer to the 19th, did we, the 20th century, begin to refer to the 19th century as the distant, outmoded past? Good point. <laughs> a very good point. Uh, and I've never heard much said about that, but there must have been time when it started to pop up. You know, guy says, oh, wow, uh, we're certainly glad that we're now in, you know, the 20th century is a fantastic century. The 19th century is this poor outmoded century. They went around wearing button shoes and, and uh, you know, they wore these funny mustaches and stuff like that. And they, they had a curious way of look. Uh, they, they looked funny and they wore these stovepipe hats and, and uh, they did these strange things like, uh, you know, they went to civil wars and all that jazz. Uh, we don't do any of that stuff anymore. They wrote these uh, romantic melodramas like uh, Eva crossing the ice and East Lynn and and, uh, and all of that 19th century world. When did that begin to be a, a, a total entity that was out of the past? You know, it was totally past and gone. There's very few of us listening here or being up and walking around at this time who could say definitely that uh, that he remembers any of that stuff? You know, man, that's that's way out out of uh, anybody' experience that I know. The 19th century. Well, all right. 
Now, now we're, we're, we're getting down to this thing. Here we are. We're 20th century men, right? All of us listening tonight, walking around, doing these things. Just curious. There's one thing that, that all of us have got to face. What makes the 20th century man very different from the 19th century man? I wonder how many... Now listen carefully to this, Art, because you may, I want you, want you to give me an opinion on this. How many movies do you think that the average person, alive, adult... Now when I say adult, I mean anybody over, say, 20. I'm talking about anybody over 20. Let's say anybody over 18. We'll just say that. Anybody over 18, we'll consider an adult, right? Uh, how many movies has this person seen in his lifetime? Uh, to most people, Robert Redford is probably much reader than their cousin Clifford. Because they see him a hell of a lot more, you know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. That's, I mean, it, 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 it's the reality has been curiously distorted in our century. To, to many people, Johnny Carson is a much closer uh, acquaintance. They know everything. They even know his various pieces of apparel. You see Johnny Carson up, you know what kind of suit he wears all the time, various types of... Oh, he's wearing that green tie again. Hey, hey Madge, uh, Johnny's wearing that green tie. Remember a couple of weeks ago he wore that tie? And they're all watching this thing. They couldn't, for the life of them, tell you what their Aunt Clara wears. But they all know what the what Carson wears, they know his various, they know uh, the various loves and lives of Ed McMay, and they know <laughs> all this stuff, see? <laughs> and they probably haven't gotten a letter from home for 107 years. I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're, you know, their uncle uh, Klutzmeyer may have uh, taken a balloon trip across Bulgaria, and they wouldn't even know it, see? But they know all about Johnny and Jane Fine and the whole world, see? So the point I'm making here is, is, is the 20th century men, of which we are part of, it's difficult to know whether or not when you draw back on your memory of your life, whether you're really drawing back on things which have actually happened to you or an endless succession of millions of memories from half-digested films, movies, God knows what. The 20th century man has gotten so addicted to vicarious living that he really gets very, very unhappy if it's not available. It's like a total addiction. So that uh, so that if you move to a town that has no movies and can't get TV, the average guy is going to go out of his bird. <laughs> He's really going to go out of his bird. He will travel hundreds of miles to come to New York to, quote, see the shows. <laughs> That's fascinating. And, and, and so, so the only point that I'm trying to make here, is not, you know, this is not, not the... the uh, I'm sure that... Uh, uh, you know, I, my lifetime, I mean, uh, that's all, uh, all I ever knew. I mean, my whole life was movies, uh, radio, television. It's always there. I, you know, it's always, 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 always there. You get movies all around, the radio, the television, the whole bit. And, and, and I don't think there's many adult people around who, who don't remember, who, you know, who can say, honestly, that this is not true of their life. And so your, your attitudes have been profoundly affected by these things. I wonder how many of us are trying to make real life fit the movies. And we keep getting bugged at real human beings. <laughs> In other words, real human beings simply do not act like Gary Cooper. I mean, real policemen simply aren't like Marty Milner. 
And it bothers us. It really bothers us. Because <laughs> we want them to be that way. We know how they should be. We've seen endless cases of, uh, of uh, you know, groovy. And gangsters are so colorful in real life, in, in, in movies. They really are. There has never been a dull gangster written. And so this is one of the reasons why I think a lot of us are a little bit fascinated by guys like The Godfather. Now, this is, again, a movie version of it. But the real thing is often un un indescribably dull and vicious. We don't see that. And so, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about that salamander waking up a hundred years. Give me a little salamander waking up music, please. Yes, uh, a number, no, no, number two, I think. Number two, please, that's right. That's it. Bring it on there, please. No, no, start it over again. It's got to, it's got to come right from the start. Uh, I re reset it. It's got to come on real big. That's why Salamander is waking up into the modern world. Just bring it on. That's it. Yeah. At last, he's awake. He's looking around and trying to make the scene. Yeah. Oh, the bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train. Oh, the salamander missed the train. And now he's walking. Baba doo to the bear missed the train. The bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train. And now he's walking. Hold it, hold it, hold it there. Right there. Now, that's what that song means, friend. The bear missed the train. That's a symbolic train. <laughs> and, 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 you know, when I saw, when I read that piece, you know, about the bear. Or rather, about the salamander waking up in that block of ice. It hit me, you know. One hundred years have passed. Now, they just say a hundred years. It could be five hundred. Apparently, they know it's at least a hundred years. That salamander's waking up, see. His eyeballs. He flicks his eyes. Boy, it was a long winter. Looks around. Well, now, it's obvious that even Soviet miners don't look like they did a hundred years ago. <laughs> what the hell do you think he thinks he's in? What conceivable scene could this be? You know, this concept is always... Now, I'm sure that animals... I'm sure of this, even though this is theory. I'm sure that animals... I don't relate to time like we do. That's one thing that man has created, the concept of time. And I don't think there's no animal at all that ever conceivably was aware of the fact that there were turtles that came before him and there will be turtles after he's gone. Can he even conceive of being gone? It's only man, you know, that's got this thing about time. Time. T-I-M-E, time. We named centuries. Are there such things as centuries in nature? No. <laughs> it just goes on. The rocks melt. They grow again. The ocean dries up and then it grows again. But we came along. We divided it up in these neat little sections. This is the 19th century. Numbers. We've invented numbers. Even. In fact, you know, we call this 19. We'll call this 20. We'll call the next one 21. We live in 20. <laughs> you see, we're, by saying 20, we're, all, we're acknowledging that there will be a 21, right? Do you buy that? All right, at all? Well, here's this, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about this thing, see. 
uh, time in this little salamander waking up, seeing, looking around a hundred years. Have a hundred years passed for a salamander? Or has it just been men? Do salamanders know of years? I mean, is it, can you say that he's passed a hundred years? Or can you only say that a hundred years worth of men have grown and died while he was asleep? <laughs> and there were no, because this is a man concept, no salamander. This is going to sit around and say, hey, that was back in uh, 1963. Sure, I remember that. Uh, yeah, of course. That was when uh, Johnson was president, right? No way. No salamander can do this. But the one thing that... Uh, I'm going to ask you a question here. Now, this this has always been uh, part of man's thing, uh, this time scene. It's, it's certainly been part of our entertainment world. And if you figure the entertainment world... As, as, as including almost everything, sports, uh, all the rest of it on down the line, sports all the way through uh, through uh, movies, shows, plays, books, all that. That's all part of our world of entertainment. Shakespeare, the New York Jets, uh, <laughs> the baseball teams, all of it, you know. Uh, the question that uh, that I, I, I kept thinking about was this. Well, I'll, I'll ask you, the, the time influence has affected almost every particular field. Uh, for example, the record-keeping of baseball is purely a reference to time all the time. People are constantly saying, well, uh, you know, uh, uh, in 1937, X threw two no-hitters, uh, and that is very important. Now he's going to do it the first time since 1930. Another guy is going to do this. Uh, that without, wipe out all the records, wipe out all records, would there be as much interest in sport because of this time thing? I don't know. But nevertheless, we're sitting here now. This is the 20th century. All of us, we're, we're experiencing this. One thing that no matter who you are, rich, poor alike, you share the same segment of time. 20th century. Here we are. And we've thought about what other centuries are going to be like. Bugs us. We tend to think all the time that man is improving. This is one of the great myths. This is as much a myth as uh, the uh, spring of eternal youth that Ponte de Leon pursued. We tend to believe he's, he's, he's improving. So we, we like to think that the next centuries are going to be much better than even our century. People but dig this in. This idea is great. That the centuries are going to be better. And we also conversely think that the preceding centuries weren't as good. It couldn't have been. If you accept the fact that the next ones are going to be better, you have to accept the ones that behind you weren't as good, right? We like to believe that, uh, say, and you hear this reflected in, in most casual conversations. You'll hear a guy doing a play-by-play -play description of a ball game. And he'll say, well, of course, you know, the contemporary player is much faster. He's taller, bigger. He can throw further than the previous players. You, how many times have you heard that? No evidence whatsoever to base this on. <laughs> None whatsoever. But a belief that it's so. That's enough. That, the, that they must be able to throw harder. Well, because they were in an earlier period in time. Why? Well, because we believe it. So, I'm going to believe this. So then, you find that this thing has is, is infected a lot of our attitudes. What comic strip art, I'll ask you a question, was based on the salamander principle? What is the salamander principle? He was in a 
block of ice for a hundred years and then woke up. What comic strip was based on that idea? The hero was in a mine. I'll tell you what happened. The hero was in a mine, some kind of a mine deep in the earth, when a disaster occurred. And he was sealed off in this mine. And 500 years later, he returned. They, he was discovered. What character was that? Now, there was another character in the comic strips that was based on the reverse. That this character uh, was... was had had a there was always a mad professor involved and this professor had invented a machine a time machine and the character the lead character in the strip was continually returning to other centuries in the past what comic strip was that now i'm asking you as students of american uh, of american uh, <laughs> literature because these were part of our literature well, you guys have flunked this exam, and I'm amazed. These are two famous characters. And don't immediately write to me and say, Shepard, we know you're interested in comic strips. I am not. Any more than I'm interested in movies, plays, books, uh, so forth. So don't deluge you with com I'm not a comic strip cuckoo, never was, never am. But uh, at least I, I, I look at them once in a while. Now, what, what? now on the other hand, we've, we've, in our current comic strips, we show the same thing. What character today... Is, is, is uh, purportedly supposed to be a character out of the ancient prehistoric past. And yet he is always involved in and saying contemporary things, like they go to a, uh, a caveman psychiatrist and all that. Which, which one is that? That's in the current comic strips. What's that? That's right. All right, that's right. And what is a, a, there's another character that is supposed to be apparently in the middle of the medieval days. A kingdom of some kind, and uh, they have uh, jesters and they have court uh, executioners and all that. And again, they're speaking always in contemporary terms. What character is that? No, no, no. That's not a contemporary comic strip. You mean you haven't seen the Wizard of Id? <laughs> okay, so so in other words, that time thing has al has always been part of of the of that so-called pop world of the comic strip. In other words, people are always fascinated by the past; they're fascinated by the future, but they can't face either of them without contemporary references. In other words, if if the Wizard of Is really did talk like somebody living in say the year, uh, let's say uh, the year eight seventy two in King Arthur's day. <laughs> it would be almost unintelligible to us. So he's always supposed to be making things like, uh, you know, the Wizard of Id. Id is a contemporary term, obviously. A contemporary New York Freudian term, really, primarily. Uh, and almost outdated already. But the, but the facts are that, that what character was based on that whole concept, that, that salamander concept, of reappearing on the Earth 500 years after his time of living. And incidentally, I believe this is a secret desire that all of us have. Every last one of us would love to be able to return to Earth a thousand years after we lived to see what it was like. Do you agree, Jerry, that you would like to do this? 
How about you, Art? Would you? I mean, I think it's a universal desire. I think that's as universal as any desire that man has. In other words, a kind of a desire for immortality, you know, to, to kind of live forever, see, so you can see what it really got to be like. <laughs> and the, uh, all right, now I'll ask you a, a question. What famous, what famous novelist, uh, famous writer, in fact, one of the, his, his, great, uh, his great classics was based on a uh, 19th century, it wasn't 20th, because he wrote in the 19th century, based on a 19th century man returning magically to the days of uh, of the uh, you know the days of knighthood and a play was built on that a play uh, a novel uh, they even made it into a movie but it was a famous book what was the book huh no hg wells this guy was much more hip than wells and a much better writer than Wells. Wells was always referring to the future and all that sort of thing, but, but the Wells, to me, was a, was a second-rate character compared to this guy. And he went back in time in this particular... And I'll, I'll give you a clue. He was an American writer. Oh, you surely must know this. I can't believe it. It was an American uh, with Yankee ingenuity and know-how returning to the court. What's that? That is correct. Mark Twain. And a a uh, yeah a Yankee at King Arthur's court. Yeah, yeah, uh, what a Connecticut Yankee. Yeah, that's right. And why did he call it a Connecticut Yankee? Well, of course he was uh, he was living in Connecticut at the time he wrote this. Hartford is where, where he was living. But the the the, uh, the whole idea of going back in time is is just as intriguing to us as going forward in time. This is interesting. A lot of people would secretly like to be suddenly magically wake up tomorrow morning and be alive at the Battle of Bull Run, <laughs> you know? And, uh, yeah, well, no, I, just, just, uh, or, or to, to, uh, sure, what do you think movies are about? Uh, actually, what I'm saying here is that movies provide a, an artificial way of doing that. The most popular movie of all times is based on the mid-19th century. What is that movie? Well, of course. Uh, Gone with the Wind. And so people can sit in that movie and, and, and vicariously live the 19th century and see this whole thing, you see, uh, happen over and over again. Well, now, let's take, let's take even contemporary big popular movies. Almost all of them uh, play with the time sense. Take Sound of Music. Sound of Music is returning to Middle Europa of, of the, like almost an entirely different world, a different century, really. They're out there in the Alps yodeling and all that stuff, you know. It has very little to do with walking around 6th Avenue and fighting for a cab. So uh, uh, even the time is a different time in a different world. And I think this is one of the reasons why those movies are fantastically successful. I think why 2001 was successful, really successful was because it was purportedly done with great detail, you know, as if suddenly you were in the world of 2001, and you could sit there for this whole two hours, you know, be involved in all this fantastic stuff that was going to be happening in the year 2001. Now, if he had named that 1957, I don't think it would have done it. <laughs> no way. Yeah, but it's 2001. Uh, and, and so many of our, our literary classics are based on this. The back in the days when, when George Orwell wrote eight, 1984, this was like, you know, people really dug this because 1984 seemed to be so far in the future that it was very exotic. 
Well, now, to us, 1984 is just a few years from now, you know, and it doesn't seem particularly exotic, but he wrote this book back in the 19, roughly the 1940s, roughly. So 1984 seemed like an immense distance from us today, then. Uh, just as today, the year 2001, when the movie came out, which was a few years ago, that seemed like a very, very long time from now. But actually, 2001, figure how many years this is now. Now, had he named that uh, 2101, that might have been, for, uh, that movie would have been, you know, even more exciting. But 2001 just seems too close. Uh, and, and, and so the time thing back and forth, you mean you still don't know who that character was that was based? What, uh, he's the most famous science fiction comic character of them all. I can't believe that you wouldn't know who that is. In fact, even the title of the comic strip said that. X in the 25th century. You mean I'm surrounded by ignorance? That's unbelievable. You mean neither of you ever heard of Buck Rogers? <laughs> I mean, that's nothing to do with the past. You know, that strip just stopped running a few years ago, you know. It's not like it's out of the past, particularly. And it was called Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Now, now, what was his actual, what was his actual uh, uh, profession? Well, he was a mining engineer. That's why he was down in this mine when <laughs> this thing happened. What was Flash Gordon's profession? You didn't know he had a profession, did you? Well, all right, what was what was Superman's profession? What was he? Yeah, he was a, he was a newspaper reporter, right? Which, by the way, says what we think about the press. Secretly, we think the press can do anything. <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's uh, had he been say a, a railroad uh, engineer or a ship captain, I don't think you know Superman. I don't think he would have made it as big because we secretly have a feeling that the press is a magical thing, and it's always truthful and it's uh, it can destroy mountains and fights evil and and faster than the speed of a bullet and all the rest of it. So uh, you know, here we are living in the middle of the uh, late, not the middle any longer, the last third of the 20th century. And it won't be long before people will be looking back at our time right now, the 70s, and saying, God, you know, uh, people were very different in those days. Now look at pictures of us. And they'll say, look, look at how, how strange they dress. Look at that, look at that, uh, look, at, look, at the, look at the hair. What was all this hair thing? They're going to say, look at, look at the hair all over them. Look at that. And, and you notice the sad, melancholy, poetic look they have. Yes. Hello, fellow salamanders. And this great psychic block of ice. Frozen throughout all eternity. How can we tell them how it was to be alive in the last third of the 20th century? Just like, yes, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. In short, it was like all times. What was that line from? A famous novel. When was it written? Not in our century. 
which means that all centuries are ultimately the same for the walking around person. The best of times. Why the best of times? Because you're alive. And it was the worst of times. Why? Well, we have Vietnam's water gates, corruption, evil, murder, all of it all around us. In short, it was like all times. And so it will be. The person of the 25th century is going to see around him crime, corruption, and murder. Evil, and all the rest of it. Because he's dealing with man. It will also be the best of times because he will be alive for that moment. And who wrote that line? Well, I'll have to give you, a, I'll tell you this right away for, for starters. I, I don't want to leave you hanging too much. Uh, one word, uh, it was not Earl Wilson. No, no. It was not Leonard Lyons, nor was it Jimmy Breslin, one of the great thinkers of our time. <laughs> nor Normie Mailer. Oh, no. No. Because they always believe it was the worst of times, inevitably. Who was it? Mona Jaffe? No. Who was it? W.O.R. New York.